So we're going to start tonight. Um, I want to read in chapter 14. We are now in the midst of the thick of it. Um, we are about to see the wrath of God poured out. Never in the history of mankind has there ever been, nor will there ever be, praise God again, what is coming on the earth for all those who have now rejected him. And uh, it's gotten to the place where um, the wrath of God is really being poured out. We'll see when we get to chapter 17, 18, where the bowls, 16, 17, 18, where the bowls, the seven bowls are poured out, and the, 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 the wrath of the, the one who goes after all those who refuse to acknowledge him as God. And so let's start reading in chapter 14. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, the lamb and the 144,000. Now, this is a different 144,000 than we saw previously, uh, the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Verse 1, then I saw the lamb standing on the Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name, that will be significant, written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the rolling of a loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. The great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. That's another important point. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. King James says, a first fruits. They have been told, they have told no lies, and they are without blame. And I saw another angel, the three angels here, I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world. To every nation, tribe, language, people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen, the great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and the statue, who accepts his mark on their forehead or on his hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath, and he will be tormented in fire burning and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their deeds, their good deeds follow them. Then I saw a white cloud, 
and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come. A crop on the earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung the sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven. He had also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had the power to destroy with fire came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth, loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city. The blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as horses' bridle. Chapter 15, verse 1, the song of Moses and the Lamb. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were holding harps that God had given them, and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. The seven bowls of the seven plagues. Then I looked and I saw the temple in heaven. God's tabernacle was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple, poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like blood on a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had the authority over the water say, You are just, O Holy One, who is and always was, because you have sent these judgments, and since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. 
Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by the blast of the heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and of his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish. They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings of the east could march with their armies forward to the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits. They looked like frogs leap from the mouths of a dragon, the beast and the false prophet, and these demonic spirits who work miracles, and they go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready. They will not walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place in the Hebrew name Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and the mighty shout came from the throne of his temple, saying, It is finished! Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck. The worst since people were placed on earth, the great city of Babylon Babylon split in three sections, and the cities of the nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of the fierce wrath. Every island disappeared and every mountain was leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstorms weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plagues of the hailstorm. The great prostitute. Chapter 17, verse 1, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and he spoke to me, come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is coming on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The king of the world have committed adultery with her and the people who belong to this world have made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. Then I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns. Blasphemings, God, were written all over. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand, she had a gold goblet full of obscenities, impurities of immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon, the great mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive, but is not, isn't now, and yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. 
And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was but is no longer is the eighth king. He is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to the kingdoms for a brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the lamb. But the lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of lords, king of all kings. And he's called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Then the angel said to me, the waters where this prostitute is ruling masses represents the people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out His purposes. They will agree to give her authority to the scarlet beast, and so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in the vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of this world. The fall of Babylon, 18 verse 1. After all this... I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and earth grew bright with its splendor. He gave a mighty shout, Babylon has fallen, the great city has fallen, she has become the home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal, for all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality." The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxuries. The merchants of the world have grown rich. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all the evil deeds. She brewed up a cup of terror for others, so brewed twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so much it now torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne, and I am no helpless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her. In a single day, death and mourning and famine, she will be completely consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her, is mighty. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxuries will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on you. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her for there is no one left to buy their goods. She brought great, great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, pearl, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thine wood, thine wood, ivory, 
bronze, iron, marble. She also brought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies, that is, human slaves. The fancy things you love so much are gone, they cry. All your luxuries and splendors are gone forever, never to be yours again. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, how terrible, how terrible for the great city. She was clothed in the finest purple and scarlet linen, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. And all the captains of the merchant ships, their passengers, sailors, the crews, they will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend. And they will say, where is there another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads and show grief. And they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it was all gone. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and people of God and apostles and prophets, for at last God has judged her for your sakes. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder from the size of a huge millstone. He threw it into the ocean and he shouted, just like this, the city, the great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps, singers, flutes, trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsmen, no trades will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard of you again. The light of your lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard of you again. For the merchants were the greatest in the world. And you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people. And the blood of the people slaughtered all over the world. Whew. Sounds pretty wicked, eh? Sounds like judgment. You know, this is, you remember the prophecy we heard a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, I guess it was from an Australian prophet, that said the Lamb of God had his, was about to be the Lion of God, and he was putting his foot down, his paw, it sounded like, you know, this whole thing about the babe of, Jer- of, of Bethlehem, he's not coming back as the babe, he's coming back. And he's going to have vengeance to those who all, and he knows who's never going to receive him. And it's done. Well, let's unpack this. There's, there's plenty here, obviously. Um, so we're going to, if you're following along, we're on page 30 of your handout. And if you've got a Tim LaHaye book, we're in uh, page 228 of his. And um, some of this is mysterious, but others of it is pretty straightforward. And so we see here the 144,000 that are before the throne. One, we can see that the gospel is preached to all nations. One of the things that we see here is, first of all, at this point, remember the 144,000 from the 12 12 tribes, right? They were these evangelists who went everywhere. Then we had the two witnesses who just absolutely antagonized and annoyed the Antichrist, right? Because he couldn't kill him, he couldn't do it. And then they celebrate because the two witnesses are dead in Jerusalem, right? And then they're resurrected for uh, three days later as the whole world watches CNN and Fox News and all of them, BBC, they're all there like, and they're going up. It's like, yipes. And they think, okay, well, now what do we do? 
Well, you've got the place now where the martyrdom has gone on extensively. And some of the commentaries believe at this point, there aren't a whole lot of preachers left. They've all been either guillotined or taken out or, right, or hiding out. We, we also looked at possibly uh, King Abdullah from Jordan where it says they, they hide out in the wilderness, right? So there are those that are still hiding out. There's this underground railroad uh, that has taken place and probably Christians and Jews, the Otto Schindlers and the, you know, the, uh, the, those who are, are hiding out, those who kind of have a, a facade and they're keeping, well, anyway, at this point, they send, the Lord sends angels to preach. He sends the word, says the good news of the gospel is preached by angels. So interesting, many commentators, well, it is like the last of the last. God is so long-suffering. Can you imagine all the, you know, usually when you go through a hard time, you get on your knees. Help God. That's a great prayer, right? Help me, God. For these folks, after all of what's going on, for them to not have turned and repented, but God gives another chance, another chance, another chance. So when it's all done, there is justice. You had your opportunity, and you missed it. And it's that point. We also know that the mark of the beast, all those who receive this mark, they are no longer redeemed. There's some interesting thoughts that it could be such a biochip that actually changes physiologically who you are that you can never accept Christ. So, hey, I, all I know is I've read enough now that don't go there, okay? It would be rather, I'd rather face the guillotine or whatever the enemy thought he was going to do to us. Guess what? Terry and I, oh, Pastor Terry and I always say, just hurts for a minute. It may not even hurt for a minute. Oh, death, where is your sting? Some of these martyrs who were burned at the stake... It says, did they even suffer pain? I, hey, I don't know about that. I just know is, do not renounce your faith in Christ. Amen? All right, moving along. So we see the highlights of chapter uh, 14 and page 30 of your handout. That the, the heavenly Mount Zion, this actually is in heaven. LaHaye makes it pretty. This is the scene that's in heaven. So we see that this, this what is going on is in heaven. Now, who do you think this great prostitute is? Is this an actual woman? No. Uh, you can see because of all the nations that it's all the cities that are involved, all the nations and all the kings, it represents a system. In fact, there are two Babylons that are clarified here. There's actually the city Babylon, which seems to be this uh, location. Uh, actually, do you know where Babylon's located? The city of Babylon's located? It's in Iraq. Um, do you, what's interesting, we'll read this a little bit in LaHaye's book. Remember, he wrote this in 1919, 1999. When was 2011, uh, when was the, when did the towers go down? 2001. We go into Iraq, right? Guess what? Babylon was literally nearly destroyed. The city of Babylon, where Nimrod and King Nebuchadnezzar, remember we read out of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the the great world powers, the first one in Daniel's interpreting of his dream. Babylon is located, King Nebuchadnezzar's location, this great city of Babylon, is in Iraq. They say it's the seat of original um, civilization. We'll see some real wickedness. We'll talk about that in a minute that's come out of that historically. But the city of Babylon was nearly destroyed during the Iraqi war. 
I went on Google today and start, and I listened to a whole video of, let me pull this up for you. I know I'm jumping ahead, but let me pull that up. So the, uh, there are, there's lots and lots of money that are being poured in. If you'll turn to, uh, uh, well, chapter 17, page 36. Keep, keep that open for a minute, but go to 36. I went online, and the World Monuments Fund has been working for seven years in the restoration of the city of Babylon. Lahay points out from Scripture that Babylon was never destroyed up through 1999. Well, guess what? He says, in order for prophecy to be fulfilled, it has to be nearly destroyed and then rebuilt. Because during the end time season, that Antichrist will take up refuge, and it'll be his city. Well, guess what? That's happened in the last 19 years. And it is now being rebuilt. The State Board of Antiquity, millions of dollars been pouring in for site recovery plan. You can travel there. You can see all the results of the recovery. And they're rebuilding. In fact, Saddam Hussein believed he was the heir apparent of Nebuchadnezzar. And he had poured a lot of cash into that place. Then it got, you know, with all the war and everything that went on, and now it's being rebuilt. So I'm just saying it's interesting. The Bible scholars were saying that city has to be destroyed. It hasn't been done yet, and now it has to be restored because in the last days, the great prostitute and the Antichrist. And it's a system. So there is a, this represents the immoralities, the queen of heaven, she is, this is the world systems that have been full of immorality and greed. But then there's also literally a city of Babylon. Okay, let's go on back to page 30. That one just jumped ahead. But we see here in this, what, this terrible outpouring that one, we see that he speaks of in chapter 14, he's come to Mount Zion. Who do you think the son of man, one likened unto the son of man there? Chapter 14, verse 14. Who is that? One like unto the Son of Man with a crown on his head. It's Christ. It's Jesus himself. Remember, he refers to himself often in scriptures as the Son of Man. This is Christ himself. And when we read that, it says, Then I saw a white cloud, verse 14 of chapter 14, seated in the cloud, someone like unto the Son of Man, gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle. Christ himself is staying Scoop the sickle, harvest the earth. Woo-hoo. That sounds like the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we see that John sees this lamb standing on the Mount of Zion. Of course, we know in scriptures, Mount Zion, if you ever in, in Jerusalem were there in November, we saw the city of David, Mount Zion, that area that's actually physically there. This is speaking of the heavenly city that later when we read in chapter 21, 20, where the heavenly city coming down out of heaven. This is what they're referring to. It's a glimpse of heaven, Mount Zion. And that's that um, scripture in, remember in Hebrews 12, we won't turn there, but Hebrews 12, 24, if you, if you have your Lahey book, this is on 229. Listen to this scripture as a, the writer of Hebrews almost exactly correlating with this revelation. Here's chapter 12, verse 22 through 24 in Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. And you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in the joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. 
You've come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. Men's group on Monday night, we were at uh, over at Trinity Grove, with, and uh, Kingdom Men went there, and uh, John Maples did a study on the blood and the power in Hebrews, and it was just interesting how this correlated right where we were. The power of the blood that redeems you, and we all got kind of impacted and whacked that we have no idea the power of the royal blood. It says, you are then authorized. Remember, you couldn't even enter the Holy of Holies back in the Old Testament. Only once a year, the high priest went in. He had to do all the sprinkling, all the fat. He got in there and still had a rope on him because they would die and yank him out. And Now it says, those who have the blood of the Lamb can enter right into the throne room without fear of judgment. We have no idea how powerful the blood of Christ is. In all of our... I'm getting... That's just the witness of the Holy Spirit. Yep, you got it, right? It's like we have no idea the royal power of the blood. Even in all of our mess, when we come into that place, he says, we have been redeemed by the blood. You have been made righteous by the blood. It's powerful. See, the Lord, the Father, sees us through his Son's blood. These are the redeemed ones. These are the marked ones. Yeah, the beast got his mark. My children have my mark. And this is that place where the Father says, that's one of mine. That's one of mine. I've told you, we've been in places where the devil knows you're also a Christian, right? Being in the grocery store and the woman possesses, just want to buy bread, you know? Or I remember Russ Hamilton, he's in heaven now. He went to the deli, one of the local grocery stores, and he's there and he's ordering, I don't know, ham and Swiss from the... You're one of them. One of what? You're one of them. And the guy left, went in the back room. Like, wow. So the enemy knows those who are marked. That's why Jesus, when he walked in the temple, why have you come? They screamed, son of the most high guy, to torment us before our time. He said, shut up. It's not my time yet. Shut up. Don't reveal that yet. (laughs) Ah. The marked ones, the blood of Jesus, the power. Okay, if you look at back on page 30, we see that this 144,000, they are interesting. This is the only time in Scripture that the word virgin is used with men. Now, some of the commentaries say, well, maybe they were unmarried men. Um, There's also a description with those who have been married. Remember where it says in Hebrews 13, the marriage bed is undefiled? It's not sinful to be married and intimate with your spouse in marriage. Says, so they could be the ones, but here's some of the other attributes. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and they tell no lies. These are ones that are dedicated, and they're before the throne. And there's a whole lot of theories about who would this 144,000 be that were before the throne? They sing the song of the Lamb and also of the Father. These are ones probably those that were martyred, those who walked with Him, those who were, I mean, literally you could think, well, they could be really famous people who gave of themselves. I mean, you know, think of some of the martyrs who were burned at the stake, the qualifications of this elite. That first, we know in, in page 232 of, your, of the book, it says, they were redeemed by faith in Christ. Well, that's all of us. They are morally pure. They have this desire 
to be pure, and they are obedient, and they're available, and they follow the Lamb wherever they, he goes. Chapter 14, verse 4. So we see uh, they all tell the truth. They live blameless lives. So I don't know. It's a special category, possibly, of people. But Lahey said, maybe it's guys like John Huss or William Tyndall, many others who were burned at the stake for translating the Bible so that we might have it today. Don't know. They certainly paid a price. There's this special reward, this new song, this special relationship that they sing both to the Father and to the Son, Moses. And so we see that then we see the introduction of these angels who preach the everlasting gospel. Go, They go out and it's almost like we're going to give them one more shot. Maybe there's a few out there. And so angels go out to preach the words in Revelation 14, 6-7. I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who on earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, the hour of judgment. See, this is that warning, warning, warning. How many times historically does God warn us? Think about it. It's just, you know, do you know, think of Noah. 120 years he's building a boat, and they're, they're mocking him. You know, first of all, there's no rain. The, water, the earth was watered by dew at that time, right? Can you imagine building a boat for 120 years? Your neighbor's coming, what do you make? I'm making a boat. It's going to rain. What's rain? You know? you know? And they're mocking him, right? It's like, and Noah, and there's the collateral blessing. Noah brings his sons and daughters, right? The daughter, all of them get to come in the collateral blessing. So he warns Noah. He warns Lot. If you read the story of Lot, it's just wild. One, they go into the, the perverted city where the homosexuals are going wild, and says, you got to get out of town. And he even tells his son, his future son-in-laws, get out of town. And they laugh, and they're burned up in the crowd, right? But even in the mercy of God, Lot's taking his time. He says, we, you know, we can't go. We can't make it. We, all right, we'll go to that little town over there. And the, all of Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed in that local area except that little town. God in His grace always warns us. How about Jonah with Nineveh? And on it goes. So same with us. He warns His people in advance. It's coming, and this is what you need to be doing. And so there, right now in the earth, I've heard more preachers preaching about the end times right now than I've heard in a long, long time. Go on YouTube. It's like, what is up with all this? You think you might be telling us something, right? Get ready, get ready. This is this last offer, I believe. When, those, when they go out and... He, they declare the eternal gospel. Then we see the fall of religious Babylon. This system, this religious Babylon, is literally a ecumenical religious spirit. We talked a little bit about it on Sunday. Um, this whole move of the one world religion, even this past week, where the Pope and all the Imam over the Sunni Islam got together and they signed a covenant of agreement. To, and it's good, peacemakers. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? So we give the, give the leaders of that credit. But this went way beyond that. When you equate all God are the same. And that there's many ways God ordained. In fact, what was said is God ordained all these different religions. As if assuming that all ways lead up to heaven. Sorry, they do not. There's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ, who has the Son, 
has the Father, who has the Father has the Son, and he who does not have the Son does not have the Father either. So, I mean, we've we got to be careful. This is kind of, it's like the, the World Council of Churches. In the World Council, I went online today and I looked that up. Today, there are 100, let me get you the numbers to be more exact. The World, Church, the World Council of Churches was formed in 1948. And, of course, it followed World War II when they were saying, well, let's get together. We need to get together in unity. The World Council, the WCC, which is located in Geneva, Switzerland, where the World Bank is, this World Church is made up today of 500, representing 590 million people in 150 countries, 520,000 churches, and 493,000 pastors are in agreement and signed in the covenant of the World Council of Churches. That's a large number. Now, they, if you read their, um, their vision statement, it's good. It's for unity and purpose. But again, it's moving in a direction of ecumenical unity. And if it gets watered down and there's compromise, well, what do you do with homosexuality? Because now many of the churches in here are ordaining homosexuals to be priests and, and to be pastors. What do you do with people who are living outside of, in, outside of marriage? What about gay marriage? I mean, what, we're going to water all that down and just throw this out so that we have unity? No. And so it is setting the stage for what is this fall of Babylon, the religious system that is infiltrating all of our society. It's here. And so we see that this fall is coming. And God says, I'm going to pour it out. All right, turn, if you will, to page 31. We're, setting, we're seeing the setting of the stage in verse 20 of, of chapter 14. Verse 20, it speaks of Armageddon. So what's about to come in the war is being set, the stage. And so you see from heaven, it's kind of like the movie before, the scene, is that there's about to be the gathering and how are you going to bring all these people together to fight against the Lamb? Turn to page 32. In chapter uh, 15, we see another glimpse from heaven. And it concludes the events that are revealed in chapters 10 through 15 concerning the visions in heaven. And it, it serves as the introduction to the latter half of the Great Tribulation. And the bowls of God's wrath are about to be poured out in such a way. This great and marvelous time, the final judgments. So we see in chapter 15, we see a sea of people. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 15, this is this crystal sea. And the, ch the church supporting the saints who are victorious over the Antichrist that have come out. So John sees the countless multitudes around God's throne, a crystal sea of people who had come out of the tribulation. And they sing this song of Moses and the Lamb. It's a unique song that only they can sing. Only the church company and the 144,000. And only God is holy. And then it says, the tabernacle, the temple of the heaven is, is opened. And in that place, the seven judgmental angels emerge from the temple. You imagine, it's like they've come out with their assignments from the temple. We often think of Everything is just fine and lovey. 
There's judgment in this holiness. And so he sends out his angels, and they emerge from the temple, and then they contain these plagues. Great smoke. It's interesting, in verse 8 of chapter 15, it is so filled with the smoke of all those things that are going out from the throne room that no one can come in, not until they finish their assignments. So we see this glimpse. It says, the final judgments have come. Entry into the place of the sea of glass that's offered up in these trials. And the saints from the tribulation, they come forth. We also see that there's, um, in the, if, you, if you're in page 247, if you have the Lahay book, this is the Holy of Holies. In this page, they see, he says, the temple is referred to 15 times in the Revelation. Its prominence cannot be ignored. Each reference to either is in the temple in heaven or to the absence of the temple in the New Jerusalem. In this instance, the reference is specifically to the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Testimony that was kept, the, tab- the tablets of stone. And see this place where God sends them out and then the plagues come. These judgments He will not be dealing with people with mercy like he usually does. During this latter time, the last three and a half years, he will deal with human beings in judgment and the wrath of God. When you look up that word wrath and you associate it with God, remember in Hebrews where it says, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God? It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a time for no more joking around. This is, you know, Lord, help us to to walk uprightly before you. One might ask, and uh, on page 249 is, why is, what is God's purpose in this great tribulation? Why, why the great tribulation? Interesting question. Last call. He, he kind of puts out, I think, four things. He says, one, it's to introduce first a worldwide revival. When things really start to get bad, those who have got the call on their lives, the desire and drawn, they're going to get, they're going to repent. So there's going to be this ushering in. It's not everything's hunky-dory and everything's going well, everybody's got their stuff. And no, no, no. It gets really, it's like, we got to get God. And so one purpose would be, it's always his desire to save men and women. So also to destroy the wicked followers of the Antichrist and, and get rid of all the evil, break the stubborn, the stubbornness of the nation of Israel. Remember, we are grafted in, right? Remember he says, it's for your purpose. Paul deals with this in the book of Romans. He says, they have had the veil put over their eyes so that you, we, the wild olive branches, could come in. But don't you go being too proud and arrogant because you're just wild and you could be grafted out again. They're the natural branch, right? But it's also to break their stubbornness at this point. They have to repent for all of their turning away and God uses that in the tribulation hour. We see that in the book of Zechariah, if you've read that. And then it's to shake the earth of all the things. The crisis that causes people to really search out and look for God. So when we look at that page 32. We see that this judgment now, the emerging from the temple of the plagues and the wrath of God. Turn to page 34. The highest highlights of this chapter... This is, uh, 
we see that the seven last plagues that are being poured out, and in this time, one, the first angel boils, and it specifically in verse 2, marks those who have the mark. So can you imagine you're a believer and your neighbor, who's not, who's got the mark, right? I don't know how they do that, but, and they're all covered in boils and you're not going to be clear who's not and who is, right? You got it. Some of these alien shows, I don't watch them, but, you know, they, they have the mark and they look at their eyeballs to see if they got something or they do some other, you got the curse or you got the thing, right? You're going to be walking around all boiled up and you'll know, right? That's it. Oh, you're one of them. You don't believe in Christ. How about the oceans? It's... <laughs> If you look at B there, it says the ocean, all, every living creature in the oceans die. Can you imagine the stench? Whew. Oh. Well, we get wound up when we see a, a whale or something else wash up, right? Can you imagine every, every living creature in the sea is dead and it turns to blood? If you ever see some of the... the uh, the blooms, the algae blooms that happen, the sea tides and all that, red sea tide. Man, well, it is going to be awful. So there's no sushi left, right? It just, it's done, right? You're not going to want it. Um, then it says he turns all the, the rivers and all the drinking water to blood as well. And he said, this is their just rewards. For the blood that was shed of my prophets and my children, my people, you're going to drink it. Remember in Galatians 6, he says, God will not be mocked. What a man or woman sows, he shall also reap. You've killed the ones I love. Now you drink. You wanted their blood, now you drink it. Oof, glory. Ugh. Where else did we see that in history? The Nile River. Remember, Moses strikes him. So we see that this is, that's why I believe one of the, one of those witnesses is probably Moses. We see similar uh, plagues coming. Excessive heat. The sun, who knows? Remember, there's been many wars now. We've, we talked about the, the war that broke out, the nuclear disasters that occurred. When you start stripping the outer layer around the earth, contaminate it, pull back the ozone layer, and people get severely scorched and burned. And there's no, there's no, day, there's no night. So at first, everybody's getting burned up. It's like excessive heat. It's likely there's probably not a whole lot of AC working and probably not a whole lot of electricity working because the water, ever try to run a power plant with blood as opposed to water? Sorry, doesn't work. And so there's probably no AC, and it is bad. And we see this bowl poured out. The sun intensifies, and men are scorched with fire. First and second degree burns. Then in verse 9, instead of repenting, they curse God. And then the fifth bulb is poured out. Darkness then comes. And it's because of the burns and the sores and the cover of the body. Antichrist followers, the extreme pain. So on the bottom of page 34, the darkness adds to their trials. The Antichrist kingdom is established basically in Europe and in the Mediterranean area, it is believed. And the only people on earth affected by the plagues are the beast and his followers. Men continue. So the, here's the other thing. If they're rounding up Christians, if you don't have the boils and you're not suffering, it's like, ow, you're one of them. 
No, I'm not. Yes, you are. <laughs> mm. The blessing for being protected. That's why I believe there's going to be part of this wilderness recovery people, the underground railroads. Men continue to blaspheme God in verse 11. Then the sixth bowl is poured out in, in chapter uh, verse 12. Here's an interesting one. It says, the river Euphrates dries up and the kings of the east. Now, I'm told, you can look this up, um, the river Euphrates has always been a separation. In fact, it's one of, it's the eastern boundary of what God gave Abraham in Israel's property line. And it's also separated east from western civilizations. But I understand now there are seven, they've constructed seven dams on the Euphrates. I believe I got this right. I have to look it up again. Seven dams where they can shut down the flow of the Euphrates for a season, for a period of time. Either way, however they get there, the kings of the east are going to cross. And they're coming, and they're going to, at this point in this time, we see that China, her allies, I don't know if this is North Korea, China, I don't know. It says the kings of the east, and they have come. We also know that a third of the, of the world's population has been decimated and a lot of bad things have happened. So I don't know how, but their army is still huge. What nation today can, ma- can put 200 million troops in the, in the field? China, right? So kind of interesting. They are now building majorly in the South China Sea. They're re- filling in islands, putting missiles in place. They are spending a lot of money on, from their GDP on... They've just recently launched, I think, their first aircraft carrier. I saw this week that the Iranians just launched their first uh, submarine capable of handling cruise missiles that they can launch 1,000 miles, that if they get nuclear-tipped missiles. So this is, this is starting to come into focus, that all the weaponry and all of the alignments are already here. We see from verse 17 of Chapter, of page 35 there, verse, um, it, it is done. Verse 17 of this chapter says, it is done. The seventh bowl, this great, God's great voice says it's finished. So we see that, can, can you imagine, now some of the commentaries, I don't know how they translate it, the, the actual King James on these hailstone sizes I've heard everything from 75 pounds to 135 pounds of ice falling. What would that do to you? It hits you in the head. Or your car. Or your house. Talk about Hurricane Florence. That'd be like child's play when a 130-pound thing falls out of the sky here. And so hailstones start falling. This earthquake, the greatest earthquake, every city is shaken to the ground, every city. Islands are no more. If you live on an island, it says they're no more. The greatest earthquake, verse 18. Thunders, lightning, greatest earthquakes, the last day of the tribulation. It's like, wow. Whew. Jerusalem is, is divided into three parts. And the cities and all the nations are destroyed. Islands disappear. The mountains are leveled. Hailstones as high as that are thrown down. And then we we see in chapter 17, the great whore, the the harlot, has now been judged. This is false religion. This is 
the ecumenical church now that has already no longer believing in Christ, they've received the mark of the beast, they're at the place where they're about to worship, this, this world religion is going to get judged, taken out, so now he can stand in the holy place and declare that I'm God. And if you refuse to worship the Antichrist at that point, you are <laughs> done with, right? And so we're about ready to see that this, the harlot is false religion, the ecumenical the ones that have denied Christ and all of His glory and splendor now have now been judged. And we see that this false religion, page 36, the top there, we know that there are, it then speaks of ten horns, and the, the description, even in the scriptures there, tells you that these are kings. I want to point out something that I think is, is interesting. Um, in the, when you, first of all, um, when you start looking at other scriptures, of the correlation of the scriptures, and if you've got uh, LaHaye's book on page 254, he lists both Amos 5, Nahum 1, and Zephaniah 1, and it talks, and it correlates, all these minor prophets correlate exactly what's going on here in this chapter. It's in Amos 5.18. It's the day of the Lord and the darkness. Remember where he said one of the plagues that's poured out is darkness, right? Well, Amos prophesied that in 5.18. It says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? The day will be darkness with no light. That's Amos 5.18. Then Nahum 1.6 and 8 says this, Who can withstand his indignation and can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Remember? The sun burns them. The rocks shatter before him with an overflowing flood. He will make an end of Nineveh, and he will pursue his foes into the darkness. Nahum 1, verse 6 and 8. Then Zephaniah 1:15. The day will be like a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. When you start, I just become more and more amazed at how each of the scriptures tend to pull out. Even in the Psalms, you start to see this whole um, panorama of the prophecies that fit. All the stones that are fit together in this thing in such a way that, wow, they all got it. Remember when Jesus prophesied in Mark 13, 24, he said, in those days, following the distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. That's in Mark 13, 24. Even Jesus speaks of that day. So we see this correlation of Scripture. And then in the religious Babylon that is destroyed, we see the, the vision. This is on page 261, if you have the book, but the destruction is on page 36 in, in general references here. And if you turn to page 36A, the highlights from this chapter, we see that the harlot, the way she's dressed, purple and scarlet, this gaudiness of who she is, the mystery of this great religious nature, the mystic, spiritualistic, the Babylonian empire that the harlot is responsible for the deaths of many of the prophets. Satan himself supports this harlot. 
it is this restoration we see. When it talks of the ten horns, verse 12 of chapter 17 says, the ten leaders have powerful connections with the world church. I want you to notice that the common market, the common market was, was formulated, and let me give you the statistics of today. Um, in, as of today, there are 28 member states in the uh, common market, the European Union. When it was formulated, it was started, and it is the, the, the restoration of that old Roman Empire. So when you look at it, and the nation states that are part of it, and it is believed when, remember when uh, John writes, he says, let me get the one where it says the, in chapter 17, look at verse 9. This mind, it calls for someone with understanding. You have to have an understanding mind to figure this out. But here's what I, what I believe the commentaries, I think, are correct. Seven heads of the, of the beast represent seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. Now, remember, from John's day, when he wrote this in 90 A.D., the book of Revelation, he's living in the day of the Roman Empire. That's, he, remember, he's, he's been put in prison because of the Roman Empire, right? He's been preaching the gospel. At that point, five Roman kings had already ruled, and he's under Domitian at that point. The sixth is now reigning. That's what he says in verse 10. And the seventh is yet to come. This seventh king that is yet to come is the Antichrist that will come on the scene. And so the prophetic word that's coming out of chapter 17 is very specific at this point. The seven mountains represent the seven kings. Now, there are some commentaries that talk about the seven mountains. And they say, well, that must be Rome because Rome is built on around seven mountains. I don't believe that's correct. But hey, again, I could be wrong on that one. But most commentaries come down with, no, we're talking about specific kings that are ruling and reigning at the, at the time and the Antichrist coming on the scene. If you look at the destruction of this beast, that this is on page 262, if you have the book, and it's located on page, if you look at um, page 36B in your handout, the, the destruction of this Babylonian system, the false prophets, the kings um, that are written here, it speaks of that in verse 18, probably written to understand the contemporary sense. The woman is the world church, presently headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, also where the World Bank is, and it's still there. This, is, this was, again, was written many years ago, and the world church, I just gave you the statistics, how it has grown, and the the apostate churches that are now part of the unity of this World Council of Churches. So, in page 262, question? We know that he comes out, he is going to partner with, remember the false prophet, right? Gets everyone to join in and they worship the beast. And then halfway through it, he undoes the church, and the apostate church is thrown out, and he declares himself to be God, and at the same moment, he goes into Jerusalem, into the temple, and says, I am God. 
and the abomination of desolation that Jesus spoke of has occurred. So he partners with it for a season, and then he turns on it. Remember, it's very unlikely that Israel, Orthodox Israel, would agree not to have some form of their religion. And so he partners with it after one of the wars. They all come together in unity. We gotta, and he's, yes, yes, yes. And we get the Muslims, and everybody agrees, and we all agree. We're all, let's play nice. We can't do this anymore. They build the temple, and in the middle of that, he turns, and he says, no, I'm God. And at that point, the ecumenical church, and this is where Babylon, the religious system, is thrown down in a single day. It's probably him and his henchmen at that point, we're not having any of these false religions. I am the true religion, he'll declare, right? And you can see this coming together at that point. Okay, in chapter... Page 37, I thought was really a very good summary. Put this together. This, this says, if you look at the original heads, we know that Babylon, then number two there is Assyria, Daniel's prophecy, right? Then the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, we've covered the Romans, we've covered that before. Then you also see the mortal head wound, right? It says he was killed and now he's alive and the, 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 the demonic realm from the abyss comes. We covered this last week. This is where the Antichrist receives a head wound, and I believe he's resurrected. He's actually incarnate with Satan himself, and he, this, this demonic realm comes out of the abyss, and he possesses this human vessel, and this is where the, it really gets ugly. So we see the mortal head wound. There's number six on page 37. And he is revived as the seventh head of the system. The one is written there in chapter 17. The church, the, the common market, you can see here the ten horns. The common market began in 1957. And we see today that it's grown to 28 members. We also know that Britain is trying to get out, right? Trying to Brexit, trying to get out. Oh, wow. She's doing well. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I get it. It's, it can be tough sometimes here. What is that pastor talking about? There? Yeah. All right. We see that um, we, we see this, the fact that Great Britain is right now trying to Brexit, exit, right? And they're going through because there are binding laws. When you look at the, what the member states agree to in the common market, you can't just say, oh, we're, we're done. They have all these agreements that are binding laws. You actually sign over part of your sovereignty to the greater good of the European Union. Now, the Ukrainians are trying to get in. I just saw they have signed a three-year agreement. Ukraine wants to get in because they're sitting there, and Russia, who's invaded part of Crimea and all that, they are concerned that Russia's going to invade Ukraine. And tonight, as I was leaving... turned on Fox News, Putin, the Russian prime minister, Russian dictator, was on. He said, if you place missiles in our yard, we're going to place them in your yard. Now, what does that mean? You know, we, we, we know that we've pulled out of this treaty because the Russians have been violating it, the arms treaty, the nuclear arms treaty. We pulled out. The Russians have violated with this intermediate range missile. And the Chinese are never involved in it at all. And they've got 1,000 missiles in the South China Sea area. So I believe our president is correct. Why are we supporting this thing? And 
we're actually unilaterally disarming ourselves in, in short-range missiles. We're not going to do that anymore. So we're pulling out. And by the way, we will put missiles as a shield in Europe. So Putin says, okay, then we'll put missiles in your yard too. So is that going to Cuba? Sounds like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Or is it going to Venezuela? You know, who knows? We know the Russians have bombers in Venezuela. We've got supplies stacked up right now in Colombia trying to get in to help Venezuela, and they won't let them in. So it's a very interesting season right now. All the saber-rattling that's going on between the Russians and, and Putin and us. Yeah. What, what the, the, what took place, this is where the, I believe the revelation started to realize this common market that's forming is like, oh, the nations that are, see the nations that are listed there? When you start to look at it, it's starting, it's the, it's the, it's the toes that were in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the individual parts of the nations now represented here. Prophetically, the picture, people started to come on, but I think it was in that time I started hearing things uh, in my walk of faith. That's the revived Roman Empire. When they decided the the common market, they said, oh, that's the revived Roman Empire. Oh, that's what this means in Scripture. Oh, and now I think it's even more clear. So that's what I was trying to say. All right, Um, turn that page to page 38. In chapter 18, this is the obituary of the world system, the world religious system. God's children are called out prior to the harlot's fall. At the mid-tribulation event, be one there, the false church destroyed to clear the way for the Antichrist to announce that he's God. So this is where he even turns on, it's not clear what happens with the false prophet and all this. We all know it says that they were possessed by, remember these, there's the frog spirits that come out into the Euphrates, and it says that the beast and the harlot and the Antichrist, at this point, we see the false religion. It's not clear where, what happens with the false prophet at this point. Is he now claiming everyone, you need to worship, they, they create an image of the Antichrist, and he says, you're right, does he step in? It appears, he steps in and says, all these religions of the world have been preparing, because now he calls signs and wonders from heaven. Let's all worship him. They create an image, and if you refuse to worship him, we're back in the book of Daniel. You either worship the beast or you're toast. And so the false prophet then is used to transfer glory towards the Antichrist. But her destruction happens in one day. And so we see that the destruction of this harlot and I believe they, they, it was kind of very interesting. If you look at page, uh, page 260, 70, uh, 271, <clears throat> talks about the ecumenical church and the plan of the devil. I wanted to find that place where, um, oh yeah, this I want to read this to you. This is good. If you'll turn, I'm sorry, turn back to... Um, Page 267, Babylon, the history of the city of Babylon, that region of Babylon has a real ugly history of rebellion against God. And here's, just read this to you, it's kind of interesting, it says, 
The word Babylon is used 290 times, page 266 and 67 of the book. 290 times in the, in the Bible, the, Babylon, the word Babylon is used. We know the woman, we believe the woman is this religious system. We learn from the, remember the Babel? What was the history on Babel? The Tower of Babel. What were they trying to do? They were going to be. They were going to build a temple, high, uh, build a tower high enough that they could get to heaven. They were substitute. They wanted. It's the first humanistic side. We're going to. We can be like gods. We'll build a tower. We'll get all together. So what does God do? <clears throat> Comes and brings all the different languages. So it went from a place of unity and humanism to confusion and chaos with all different languages. Right? You know, it says the people were scattered. Well, who else was there? If you look at this, in fact. Babel means, this tower, Babel, means gate of God. And that word was, you know, was changed at some point to a place of, now it's called Babel, which is confusion. And so, one of the leaders that was there in the day was Nimrod. And Nimrod, or Nimrod bar Cush, was the grandson of Ham. So remember, Noah's sons, who was Ham? Wasn't he the cursed one? So we find out that the cursed son of Noah goes to Babel, Babylon, and Nimrod, the grandson of Ham, the unworthy son of Noah, he marries, and his name literally means darkened one or sunburnt. Ham begets a son named Cush, which means black one, the father of Nimrod, the apostolic leader of this generation, and he marries an infamous high priestess of idolatry named Simiramis I. Interesting history there. It says, and the, the point of all this is, when you look at who else has been there, you got a Saddam Hussein, I mean, the historical references, Nebuchadnezzar. So there's a history of rebellion against God in the city of Babylon, and it gets not destroyed, then it recently gets destroyed during our 15, 20 years now, and now it's being rebuilt, and money's pulling in because of all the antiquity and the value that's there historically, all the archaeological finds. You go online today, money's pouring in there, and they showed pictures of the restoration, and at some point, it's going to be, I believe, the city where he's going to come Antichrist could say, this is my place. And it's close enough to Israel that when the formation of the peace agreement, he then goes to the temple in Israel and he declares, he goes, yes, we've been talking of the covenant of peace and all of our religions have gotten together, but I want you to know, and he calls fire down from the sky and all of the signs and wonders follow and the false prophet says, yes, yes, yes. And they've watered down all the religions to the point where now we worship him. He says, I'm God. And then you see the pouring out of all the bowls. God says, it's done. I've had enough of this. <laughs> There's a limit to my second chances here. <laughs> Third, fourth, eight, nine chances. Okay, so we see here that Babel, Babylon was built by Nimrod. It's the great apostasy. It's a Babylonian cult. And we see this formation. So on page... 38, we'll kind of uh, finish here, where in chapter 18, John sees the angel in verse 1, 
He reveals that the harlot is the stronghold of devils in in verse 2. We see in verse 3 that she thrives on all the sensual and not spiritual things. That God calls the number of Christians associated with the harlot, calls out the number of Christians associated with the harlot unless they leave her ranks. So there are those who are intrigued by her wealth, money, perversions. He says, you better come out from under that. Even you've not received the mark, but you're enticed by all of her harlotries. And then we see that he judges her within one day, verse 8. It's interesting in verse 9 and 15. Remember where it says, the merchants look from a distance and they see her smoking and burning? Many of the commentators believe that's nuclear, that there's been a nuclear destruction of Babylon and you can't get there because of the contamination, so they watch from afar. Oh, Babylon, oh, Babylon, all of the wealth and riches. If the markets, we know everything's linked, right? Because if you don't have the mark, you can't buy or sell. Everything's linked. And so now... All of, if that's all the trade centers and all the, the money controls, and that's now just, just, just imagine if somebody put a bomb downtown and Wall Street. What would happen to the markets and all the wealth associated with that? So many are saying that's probably a nuclear exchange that takes place. And within one day, they say, oh, one hour. Is that the radiation? It's verse 10 and 17 there on page 38. To avoid the radiation nuclear blast, many of the merchants probably see the burning the city from the distant, and they lament for all that they have lost. The men weep. Verse 20, turn the page. Men weep and wail on earth. Heaven begins rejoicing over the harlot's destruction. The mighty angel testifies that the harlot will never exist again, and all of her spirituality of sorceries is over. All of her witchcraft is over. The false church that caused the death of all the murdered men, this church exhibits the same characteristics as its leader, Satan, the liar, and the murderer. Now, we're going to see in the next remaining four chapters, so if you'll read forward, chapter 19, 20, 20, we'll finish next week, but we're going to look at, if you turn to the figure on page 39A, it kind of gives a picture we're going to see the judgments. As you read the next four chapters, you're going to see that, remember, those who have died in Christ are ushered into the, before the king, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we see here those who are dead, those who have never received Christ. They're being held up in a location, Sheol or Hades there on the bottom, the great gulf. And they're about ready to be brought before the great white throne judgment. So you'll see kind of a timeline here of the creation, the flood, the church age, which we're coming, I believe we're coming to the end of the church age that we saw of the seven churches representing the time frames of history. We're now in the Laodicean era where there's a great falling away from the church. Paul prophesied this. I'm going to share this on Sunday, you know, where Paul told Timothy, In the latter days, there'll be a great falling away. They'll be listening to the doctrines and teachings of demons. They'll say it's wrong to get married, wrong to eat certain foods. This is all in Paul's warning to his spiritual son, Timothy. We're in that Laodicean age right now where there's this no desire for a real hanging together in churches, great falling away. 
Then we see the tribulation, the seven years. Then there's the millennium, and then there's the great white throne judgment. So as you read, you're gonna. It's good news we get out of the. The war is going to be real short in Revelation 19. It's going to be a real short war. It's over like in the breath of his word. And then we get into party time. But there is a judgment to all those who never received him. You'll see that in the great white throne judgment piece of this. So I'm also going to share, when we look at some of the demonic sorcery stuff that's going on, um, Sunday morning I'm going to share unveiling masquerading spirits. And it is, I had a word a few weeks back about, you know, and I've been meditating on this, and then some stuff happened this past two weeks that, um, let me just whet your appetite for a moment, where certain massages, certain chiropractic services, and certain healing practices are using occult practices of Reiki, Chakra, we're going to look at how the enemy has infiltrated all of the systems. I'm going to lay out for you on Sunday morning, I'm going to lay out for you what I believe is another deception where people are being drawn in. And uh, I've done a whole lot of research the last two weeks on this, and one thing is, it is absolutely, uh, well, it's, it's frightening how many people are in the midst of being deceived right now, which he said was going to happen. But he also said the wise ones would know. And so I'm not trying to discredit people that are, you know, but my people perish for lack of wisdom, lack of knowledge. Hosea too. So, well, let's stand. Thank you for hanging in there through all God's wrath. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you have marked us. We want to be the ones that carry the mark of the lovely blood of Jesus, the royal covering, the one who always is, who was, the one we trust, the one who said, it's not going to be by your works. It's going to be by faith and by Christ. It says, you have been saved by faith, not of your works, lest any one of us would try to boast on this thing. It's by faith in Christ that you've been made the righteousness of God. You've been made the righteousness of God. And so he has marked us. So Lord, we thank you. We, we, we celebrate in advance. We may not have a clue of how beautiful this thing, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but how beautiful, how promising, how encouraging it is that we're in the ark of Jesus. It ought to motivate us to tell others, you don't want to be here for this. Trust me, you do not want to be here through. And you have now enough sufficient knowledge to point to some places in Scripture that says it's going to get really, really bad, and you do not want, you want to be in the ark of Jesus and offer that as an evangelical cry of our hearts. Jude says, snatched from, from the flames of judgment. Pull them out of the fire. So Lord, I just pray, tune us up, Lord. Encourage us. Make us bold. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel, and we love you even if it costs us of our lives. We are not ashamed of the gospel, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, peace over everyone here and everyone watching by camera. God bless you all. Good night.